Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Village Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. Let's pray and uh, we'll get started. So, uh, Father, just um, once again want to just bring Jay before you and, and, and his family that um, he would just undoubtedly know that that you're with him and uh, knowing that every Sunday he comes and 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 brings the word and 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 spends time with us and and cares about us and cares about your church Um, and this Sunday is different and so uh, what he's going through personally and with the family um, we could imagine Um, I I pray for all the hearts that are there that this would be just a way to to prepare the hearts to, to hear you and to to get close to you, and for those that don't know you, maybe to come to know you. Um, I pray for healing, if that be in your will, Father, for complete healing. And um, so I pray for today that uh, you would go before us, and that we would um, we would just have a good time with you, Father, in Jesus' name, Amen. So we're going to be uh, in this scripture first. Peter chapter 3 verse 18 so if you have your Bible or an app or or something like that if you if you have that you could open it up Uh, we also have it on the screen Uh, they graciously just threw it up for me Um, so I want to talk a little bit about the gospel this morning and um, about where we've gone through this discipleship that we've been working through preaching every Sunday uh, meeting on Wednesdays reading through the book going through day by day um, and where we're at with that. I want to I talk about that. And uh, before I go into where we've gone, um, I want to talk about what this scripture says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins. The amazing thing that we see here right away that Christ suffered now, why did Christ suffer? That's because God said in the very beginning that if we were to sin, if Adam and Eve were to sin, it would cause death. The payment for the sin would bring death. Because whenever God says, this is what I want or this is what I don't want, it's not just because he has this game in his head, but he actually knows what we're made for and what we're not made for. The gospel allows us to to look at what reality really is. And reality from God's view, from God's point, that we take a glimpse and look at is that we would be in perfect relationship with him. And that anything that would take us away from being in that relationship is sin. Anything that would take us away would be wrong of God for him not to deal with, from him not to bring us back into relationship with him, And so it says here that Christ suffered. Why? Because someone had to pay the price and the penalty for the sin. Anyone in their right mind would would understand and knows that if somebody does something against you, if they hurt you, if if they break a law against you, right? If they took and robbed something from you, if they took and hurt your, one of your chi- children, you would want to see justice. You would want to see uh, that something uh, that they paid for what they did. 
you would at least at the bare minimum be able to say, I'm angry, I'm upset, this hurts, this is wrong. And those that know that for someone to do that should feel angry, should be upset, and it's not right. And the same thing with a holy God. He has to say, this is not right. And God has a holy righteousness. A righteousness and a holy anger. This anger is not like our anger that just gets back at somebody. It does not. It is a holy, meaning separate. That's what holiness means. It's separate. It's a righteousness that is right beyond our imagine or our thinking. We will know it when we see him face to face, but we have a glimpse of that righteousness, that it's perfect, that it's beautiful, that it's caring, that it's unfailing, that it's very loving. And he has this righteousness, this anger against sin because it separates us from him. And he has to, because if not, he would not be just. He'd be like the one behind the scenes that's taking a bribe when it comes to being angry. And instead of paying the full price for what's wrong and expecting that, demanding that a full price would be paid and taking a bribe like we see so, so often and causes that injustice. God is not like that. He has righteous anger against our sin. Righteous anger that wants to be made right. So he takes our unrighteousness and he takes our sin and he sends his son and that's why it says for Christ also suffered the only thing that would make right and fulfill the righteous demand the righteous anger this just anger this just payment for our sin would be his only begotten son his son that is perfect in all his ways his son that is precious to him his son that has always been by his side since the beginning of time. His son that could have existed forever in eternity without ever making us if he wanted it to be. His son that did not need to go into darkness, but like the song says, stepped into darkness. His son that meant everything to him, he gives his only son as the payment, the righteous payment. The righteous payment was someone living a right and perfect life. That's what you seek, that's what I seek, is to live perfect and right. We're all trying to make something right in our life. It doesn't matter if you're an executive in a corporate office doing the best you can, if you're a teacher in front of children, or if you're on the corner trying to make your next deal to make money on the side to get your fix or whatever it is you're trying to make right. I'm trying to make right in my life. Our lives were meant to be right, they're meant to be perfect, and that's what it means to be human. Because what it means to be human is to reflect the image that we were made in, the very glory of God. So as we are trying to make life right, the only thing that could be made right is someone to live the life that we should have lived, the right life. And that is the life that Jesus lived. He lived perfectly. He lived right in every way, in his adolescence, in his teenage years, and in his adult life. He was perfect. He was holy. And as he began his ministry, he considered the Father in all his ways. 
He's the only man on this earth in all of human history that has been perfect, that has claimed to be perfect and lived the perfect life. He's the only one in all of history that claimed to be God and claimed to love us and was willing to give his life up for us. There's no other religion or other belief in all of humanity that has ever come close to that or even try to claim to be that. You name one where it was a perfect son born of a virgin. You name one that, let's say, scratch that, that even offered their life and that through them claiming to be God will fulfill the righteous demand and make all things right is there one there's not one is there one that has claimed to resurrect from the dead and yet ours has claimed to resurrect from the dead that's who we put our faith in he lives this perfect life and he fulfills the righteous demand for God's anger against what has separated us from him our Father provides the perfect Lamb that takes away the sins of the world. And so it says here in 1 Peter, Christ also suffered once for sins. It's real important to understand that he suffered once for sins. Why is it once for sins? It's once for sins because there is no other replacement than the one perfect sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's once and for all. It is a cross that is stained with his blood that we can gaze upon from angle after angle after angle. Not as we've learned to just look at the cross when we come to Christ and then walk past it and forget about it. But that we may gaze upon it over and over again to be amazed and to be uh, mesmerized and, and to be able to, to see how much that he loves us. And that stain stays there forever to remind us that it's a one-time offer. It's a one-time for our sins that were past, our sins that are present, and our sins that are future. That means it doesn't matter what you've done, what you do, or what you will do. It does not compare or compete with the grace of God. It cannot ever overthrow or outdo or outrun or ever overmeasure the grace of God. The grace that he paid the price. It cannot ever wipe away the stain on that cross. It can never wipe away the penalty that was paid. That means sin's present, sin's past, and sin's future. God says in his word, before you were in your mother's womb, I already knew you. I predestined and planned for you to walk in good works. If God knew me before I even was saying mama and daddy, and he knew the life that I was going to live, and he knew when I would come to Christ, and he knew when I would die, did he not know all of my sins? Did he not know everything that I would do? And I want you to know, I can get through a lot, and I can get over a lot, but the things I have a hard time getting over are my sins. The things that I've done to hurt others. But yet, He does not hold those sins against me. He does not uh, allow me to see, or allow me to um, allow that to get in the way of my relationship with Him. He does not allow that to get in the relationship with you. When he looks at you, because of this once for sins died on a cross, says it's finished, it's complete, no longer shall you have to die or anyone else for your sins. He says the righteous for the unrighteous. The righteous, that's God, that's Jesus living a right life exchanges 
for the unrighteous. That is us and our lives. That great exchange where Jesus got the rap, Jesus paid for the sins, all of God's anger, all of our sins, he became, not just poured upon, but became. He became the rape. He became the stealing. He became the lying. He became all the above. The murder, the hate, the bitterness, the abandonment. He became that. Not just was it placed upon, he became that. When he was in the garden of Gethsemane and he was praying and he was in anguish, anguish to the point of blood coming out of his face and his pores, right? When he was in that anguish because he knew that all of God's wrath would be poured upon him, all of our sins he would become. I cannot even fathom 1% on what that would be like because I can't even get over my simple sin. Could you imagine of all of the world, of all of eternity, he becomes. He exchanges that unrighteousness of humanity for the righteousness of his son. That he might bring us to God. There's the reason. There's the whole picture is that he might bring us to God. That he might bring us to the Father. That he might bring us in relationship. In other words, I'm, I'm letting you know right here that all that has gone wrong, all that you've done wrong, all that you'll do wrong, will never, ever be brought up again. As far as the east is from the west, the sea of forgetfulness, I will cast your sins you will have my son's righteous, perfect standing. So as we see the gospel, as we see life, we get to see it in full reality. And what is the full reality for those that believe? The reality is this. That you're perfect. That's it. You're right with God. You are holy, separate, perfect, righteous no matter what you did yesterday no matter what you're going to do tomorrow you're holy and you're right this is the fuel this is the power this is the energy this is what we need to allow us to hit life straight on in full reality to be able to say i don't want to sin and I have the power not to sin because I'm already perfect and I'm already right and I'm already accepted and I want to continue to enjoy this. I want my actual life that I live to catch up with the actual life that I have in Christ. My identity, my righteousness, my holiness. When most of us spend our lives, including myself, trying to pay for my sin over again, Many of us have been brought up in upbringings through our religion or just life and culture, um, those that brought us up, that you always have to pay for it. You always have to earn it. American culture is all about earning. You get what you deserve, right? Make it happen. Just do it. It's all about that because it's all about us. There's much pride in that. There's much bragging in that. But when someone gives you something as a free gift, which is what grace is all about, that's where we have a hard time because we're not able to brag about it. He gives us this right just standing before God and we try to pay for it over and over again. That's why our gaze and our focus can never be 
on our sin, never be completely on ourself, can't be on our circumstance. Our gaze needs to be on Christ. Our gaze needs to be a gaze on the cross. And it's not just the cross, but it's also the tomb that he just didn't die, but he also resurrected. And just as he died and resurrected, we will resurrect as well. See, the reality is, is not here right now in the time that we're caught in, in the, in the sense of, of the complete reality. The complete reality is us being in heaven. And that's what matters when it comes down to it. One day we won't be here. One day we will not sit in this room. We will sit at the table with Jesus staring us face to face. Staring at us face to face. That is the gospel. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. He just didn't leave us gazing upon a cross that brings us righteousness where we feel so compelled and so, compa- so much compassion and love and joy, but he also gave us his spirit, the Holy Spirit that empowers us to live this life that Christ wants us to live. This is the gospel. Now, through the gospel, church, we are able to be able to look at reality Look at reality, and, and then this, this, um, this discipleship, which is labeled emotionally healthy spirituality, that name right there, that title, I believe that's out there, is not to look at just emotions. This book is not about emotions. It's not. It doesn't even talk that much about emotions. But I think the reason why he put it out there is because that's the part that church and Christianity does not look at. They want to not look at the inner person. They want to not look at the heart where Proverbs says all the issues of life flow out of the heart. Where Jesus said, hey, you can look great on the outside, but it's really the inside that you need, that I came to change, right? I came to give you a new nature, be born again. Born what? Outside? No, born inside. Born of a new nature, a new spirit, new desires. A divine nature he comes to give us. But I believe the reason why he just puts it out there is so that way we would deal with it. Okay, deal with reality. In chapter one, um, it talks about the problem, right? What's the problem? It's so important to diagnose the problem in order to come up with the proper cure. And it it puts us right into reality. What has been going on is that there's this surface Christianity. There's this Christianity that has said, let's just get the outside going and not deal with what's really beneath the iceberg, right? So he starts talking about what it looks like to live a life of just, you know, passing the buck and just, you know, putting a smile on it and, and not really dealing with what's really going on. In chapter 2, he talks about knowing yourself that you may know God. I don't think any of us has ever heard that in all of our Christianity, if you've been a long time in, in the Christian church. Know yourself. Like, nobody ever talks about self, right? Self is, is wrong. It's evil. It's bad, really. That's the self that God died on uh, the cross for. Self, we know everybody else's selves right? We can talk about everyone else's self that they portray. We know all about them, but we never ever want to talk or question or ask ourselves, what about our selves, right? Our selves, are they caught up in what we do? Is who we are what we do? Are they caught up in what we have? Is who we are what we have? Are they caught up in what others say about us? Our selves, what do we like? What don't we like? 
What are our dreams and our desires? How has God gave us abilities and gifts? Right? Who are we? We've never been taught that. In the third chapter, he starts talking about going back in order for us to go forward. Like, you didn't just drop down out of space and time as an 18-year-old or a 30 or a 50 or a 60 or a 70-year-old, and you created this whole personality and way of thinking and understanding all by yourself. You just got there somehow. No, there was someone that brought you up, and you lived in a certain time, and you lived with certain people and that's someone that brought them up, and there's generation after generation. So looking back, right? Nobody ever wants to look back when it comes to Christianity. Nobody wants to look back when it comes to life, because why? It's not the beautifulest thing, even though it could be, if we look at God's glory in all of it, to bring us to where we are today, that we can look at reality, that we aren't going to have to repeat the same things that we have been happening from generation that are negative, and that we can reinforce and encourage those things that are positive, those things that are right before God, as God's grace, right? Anything that's right that ever happens on this earth is God's general grace saying, I love you. Why do you think he made a cell phone, right? It's like he loves us. He wants to help us out. Now we can talk. I can do a timer on it while I'm preaching. And I'm almost done because I'm going too long. Chapter 3. Chapter 4, he talks about um, enlarging your soul through grief and loss. Enlarging our soul through grief and loss. I'm sorry, chapter 4 is journey through the wall. One thing that we should tell every Christian when they start is that you're going to hit a wall sooner or later. You're going to hit a wall sooner or later. And the problem is, is that we think it's only for the new Christian, right? We go ahead and put on this, this face. We get busy for God. We do stuff. We get active. You know, learn the doctrine. Learn about the gospel. Learn that we're not, you know, we're saved by grace. All of that. We start functioning. We start getting busy in life and in church and our doing outweighs our being with Jesus, even though our being with Jesus in the very beginning is what got us into Christ in the first place. We had an encounter. We we're walking through this life, this journey, and all of a sudden we encountered Christ, and that's what stuck to us. That's what said, I want to go both feet in. I want Christ to be in my life, right? Which was really him making us alive and choosing us and saving us. It was all him in the beginning. It'll be all him now and all him in the future. But somehow we get away from it being all him and it becomes all us or all of our organization or our church or our work or life or whatever it is that's going on that's your idol, that means you're everything to you. And we got busy and our, and our doing outweighed our being. And so we hit this wall, we hit this wall where we don't feel the same we used to when we did when we first came to Christ. And we're there for a while, right? And sometimes these walls go through, comes through crises, through loss of loved ones, you know, through changes in life right? Sins we've done, things that we're having to work through and go through, and we don't know what to do with it because the church has never really dealt with how do we deal with this. While we're in reality, this is about reality. The gospel is about reality, and it brings us to a place where we know that no matter what, if we deal with this wall with Christ, that Christ will be with us at the wall, Christ will be with us through the wall, so that we can look back at those walls and say, I've been through a wall, so when the next one comes, right, that's why it says, count it all joy when, when, when you're faced with various trials and tribulation, right, that your faith, right, will grow, that you'll have more patience, and, 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 and we can look back and say, God was with me through this wall, and in chapter 5 that we preached uh, last time, it's just enlarging our soul through grief and loss. And I'm going to read this real quick here. Enlarging our soul through grief and loss. There is no greater disaster, listen to this, 
in the spiritual life than to be immersed in unreality. There's no greater disaster than to be immersed in unreality, not being in reality. In fact, the true spiritual life is not an escape from reality, when most of us thought that's what it was. Hey, guess what? I get to have this religion, this belief, this way, this Christ, to get away from life, and it's going to be beautiful and awesome, and I'm going to be okay, right? Loss marks the space where self-knowledge and powerful transformation happens. So, true spirituality is an absolute commitment to it, to reality. That's what true spirituality is. Now, if we have the courage to participate fully in the process, loss and grief, however, cannot be separated from the issue of our limits as human beings. Limits are behind all losses. We cannot do or be anything we want. God has placed enormous limits around even the most gifted of us. Why? To keep us grounded, to keep us humble. In fact, the very meaning of the word humility has its root in the Latin humus, which meaning of the earth. As we go through grief and loss, as we hit these walls, we're going to be grieving. And really what we're grieving is our loss. We're losing something. If it's a change, we lose something. And really in that loss is really just we're grieving having a limit that we can't have everything for as long as we have it, want it. We can't be everything for as long as we want to be it. We can't do everything that we thought we can do. Believe me, I'm 42. There was a lot of, I wanted to retire at 35 years old. I'm not retired. Maybe someone could drop a check and make it, you know, seven years late, 42. I'm retired. I'm good, right? But that didn't happen. There's, I could tell you story after story of things that I wanted to see and happen, and they didn't, right? So we're, we're grieving this, this limit that we come to, but these limits that God makes are his grace to keep us grounded to let us know that, hey, we're not in control. And that's a good thing because if we were in control, we'd have to run and rule and reign in everything, which would be horrible. It would be horrible because then that means you got to do it without God. And God created this life, and there's no other way to do it but with Christ. It keeps us humble so we can look at others and be with others and care for others and relate to others that, hey, I'm of the earth just like you're of the earth. I was breathed in my nostrils the breath of life, just like you were. I am a person like you're a person, not an object. And you can love wow, you can hear people, you can see people. And as we learn to grieve and go through these limits, Job, for 35 chapters, I believe, talks about his anguish, his pain. And I'll read one scripture here, and then I'm done. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. I'm sorry, that's John. Here it is. Job, let the day perish on which I was born, and the night that said a man is conceived. Let the day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Let clouds dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. That night, let the thick darkness seize it. Why was Job so negative? Because he was in reality of what he was feeling inside, of losing everything, including his health. And the Bible says there was none other righteous than him. He was a righteous man on this earth. He didn't do wrong, and yet all this bad happened to him. 
He didn't run from it. He faced it. And the end result is that he ends up praying for his friends that told him to just basically, you know, that he was the reason why all these are bad. And he also uh, doesn't turn his back on his wife when his wife said, curse God and die. See, that's, you can see the change and the transformation in his heart where he turns from not just looking at his situation, but looking at God and realizing that, God, you made me, and you have this, and we're together on this, and though you slay me, I will trust you. He went through the wall with God, and he became humble, and he became love, and what is love? Keeps no record of wrongs always believes all things, hopes all things, right? Is forgiving. He became the very love that God has for him because he was able to look at reality. And that's what we're doing today. As we come up to the, you know, uh, give an evidence of grace, we're, we're looking at reality and whatever that is for you, whatever God's doing in your life. And we can look at reality because we have the gospel, because Jesus frees us. We're not going into this hard book of discipleship, and really it's, it's discipleship. At the end of the day, and discipleship is really a life with Jesus. Jesus called the disciples to himself. And as you see in the, the books of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were all a-okay until what? They take him away to the cross. They take Jesus to the cross. That was the first time you see them scatter like, I can't do this anymore. Besides Judas right? They're with him. They were okay. But when you take the master away, what happens? They all flipped out on him. That's why being with Jesus is so important. But Jesus brings them to reality. They were going one way. They were living life one way. And Jesus calls them and they go Jesus' way because that's reality. And Jesus never held anything back from them. And we can look at reality, church, as hard as it is. And the next chapters that we're going to go through is going to talk more about being with Jesus, that sweet, loving, amazing place, to gaze upon the cross, to gaze upon his love for us. And in his love is where we'll find everything that we want and need. And he's provided for it, and he doesn't have anything to keep us from it because he already gave his son. So that's what we are able to look at this and look at reality. And discipleship is all about reality. Because it's real. God is real. God is truth.